if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Matthew chapter 5. Um, Matthew chapter 5 is the beginning of the New Testament, right before all the other Gospels of Mark and Luke and John. Um, so what we're doing this fall is we're starting a series that will take us longer than the fall on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Um, and as you turn to Matthew chapter 5, I want you to think about the game that we played for our introductions, right? Like learning people's names. Like I said, this time of year, y'all do a ton of introduction games at school, right? You're constantly learning about, okay, I got to give these two truths and a lie about myself, or I have to say something interesting about myself, right? You're, you're trying to, to meet other people. You're trying to learn about them. Um, but also when these games happen, sometimes we feel a lot of pressure, right? It's the first time you're meeting a lot of people and you're wondering, how am I going to be known? Am I going to be accepted? What are people going to think about me? Like, are things going to go well in this new space? Maybe it's a new school, right? A new friend group. Well, Matthew chapter 5 is a lot like Jesus' first introduction. Because so far what's happened in the book of Matthew is we've had the birth narrative, Jesus being born. We had all those things uh, that you know of that we read about at Christmas. He's also already called his disciples. Uh, he's also got a crowd together by healing a lot of people. And now in Matthew 5, he sits down and he starts to teach them. This is the first time of Jesus' teaching in Matthew and in, in the New Testament. So he's going to teach. And what we're going to do this fall is we're just reading the first 12 verses. But I'm only going to read the first three verses of Matthew 5 this, uh, this evening. So would you stand as I read God's word out of respect for the fact that this is God's word to us. This is what it says, Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Seeing the crowds, he, that is Jesus, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is God's living and active word. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word that you have given to us. Lord, would you help us to be taught by your word through the spirit that is even now in our hearts. Lord, um, we thank you that you've given us a purpose and a hope. Would you help us to understand more about what that means and what that is based on what your son Jesus has taught us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Y'all can be seated. So one of the things you noticed about the game tonight is there came a point when people started to do things differently, which made it a lot funnier and a lot harder, right? So when we first started, the cloth would be dropped, and you'd be trying to say the other person's name, and they were right in front of you, so you just look straight ahead, right? But then one of the teams started to do other things. They started to lie down on the ground. They started to get on one side of the curtain, the other side of the curtain, and it got a lot harder, Right? Because the thing is, you go up to that curtain and you have this expectation. This is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be able to look somebody in the eye and say their name, right? But if somebody's lying on the ground, then your expectation is completely shattered and completely reversed. Well, what Jesus does in all of the Sermon on the Mount is he reverses everybody's expectations, right? Everybody's thinking, okay, this great teacher is coming and he's going to tell us who's on the inside, who's in his kingdom. And if you think about it, a lot of people, as that thing starts to happen, might think, well, I'm going to be on the outside, surely, because he's going to want great people in his kingdom. He's going to want the cool people in his kingdom. He's going to want all these people in his kingdom. But Jesus reverses expectations. This is what he says, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. As we talk about this tonight, what we're going to do is talk about what we expect to be true versus what actually is true. One of the things that Jesus does over and over again in the Sermon on the Mount, as we'll see, is he has this statement which says, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. Basically saying, everybody thinks things are this way, but things are actually this way. And in the Beatitudes, he doesn't say that, 
But in all of these statements that are called the Beatitudes that we're working on this fall, he says things that are the reverse of what you'd expect. So, first, what do we expect? Well, before we talk about what we expect in 2022, it's worth talking about what did the people that originally heard Jesus expect way back then, right? Think about this. Jesus starts Matthew 5, 3 with blessed. Who would they think way back then would be somebody who's blessed, who's God it made, right? Well, to give you a little bit of history to help you out, the people that Jesus was speaking to were Jews. And the thing about the Jews in history is they've been ruled over by many different kingdoms. Back in the Old Testament, they had their, their monarch David, and it was awesome. But then their kingdom got splintered into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. They got taken into exile, had to go into Babylon in the southern kingdom. Then they finally get back to their home, and then they're ruled over by the Greeks. The Greeks come and take over. And then two Greek states war over who's going to have control over them. And then they have their own internal rebellions, and finally the Romans take over. So you're talking to people who have had so many different people in control, and the people Jesus is talking to are so out of control, so not in control, and so out of control over their own lives. If you had asked them who's blessed, who's got it made, they would say something like, well, the people who are in control, the people who can actually make decisions and affect change, the people who have it all, right? The great leaders in history that we see coming and conquering us every so many years, right? They might have said, blessed are the rich in spirit. And the thing is, Jesus was speaking to them all that time ago, but we feel the same thing right now. Think about this. Uh, we feel the same thing. If you're going to start a club... Who's going to be in, right? If you're starting a club, who's going to be in? You're going to have your friends in, certainly. But you're going to look for the influential people, the larger-than-life people, right? Uh, the people that everybody loves, the people with the most followers on Instagram, the people who we might say are rich in spirit. Because you want other people to think well of you and think well of your club, and you want them to be on the inside, right? And this idea is something we're also told just by, by growing up in this American culture we live in. Because people talk about what it means to be American. The ideal is to be self-sufficient, to be able to do everything on your own, right? To be able to do what you want to do when you want to do it, and that's what it means to grow up. Think about this, right? So many things in so many parts of our lives, growth feels like independence. I can drive, I can vote, I go off to college, I move away from my parents, right? And we look forward to these milestones, and we should, but what kind of creeps in with these is we think what it means to grow up, what it means to go, get better and better, is to be more and more independent. Uh, there's a metaphor that says pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Has anybody ever heard that, that, that term before? Right? Here's the problem. It's actually physically impossible to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. It just is physically impossible. Laws of physics don't allow it. But it's something we say because we're getting at this ideal. You need to be self-sufficient. You need to have it all put together. You need to have control over everything in your life. And then things will be good. Then you'll be blessed. But what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we expect to be true. And they expect it to be true when Jesus taught them. That the rich in spirit. The people who have it all together. Are the people who are blessed. But what's actually true? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So let's break down. It's a simple sentence, but let's break it down. First, the, the term blessed. When we hear that term, sometimes we, we think happy. Maybe your Bible translation even says happy. But we're not talking about some momentary feeling of goodness. Blessed is the idea of like, who's got it made? 
Who's in the right fellowship and right relationship to God? Who's living the true and the good life? Who's living the best way, the way they're supposed to be? Who's living the true purpose for humanity? Who is blessed, right? And Jesus says, actually, it's the poor in spirit. Now, what, what does poor in spirit mean, right? Well, the word poor here means beggar. It means somebody who's crouching down. There's another passage where Jesus sees a woman putting two coins into the offering in the temple, and he says, this is literally all she had, and this is the same term that's used for beggar, right? The idea is not having anything. But he also says poor in spirit. So it's not just not having anything financially, although that might be true, but it's also the idea of uh, basically at the core of our being, not just possessions, not just money, but at the core of our being before God but also before others in this world, we don't have it all together. We don't have what it takes. We don't have a great resume. We don't look good in the eyes of the world. You see, those who are poor in spirit are those who recognize and know that they need God. They know that they need help. They know they can't do it on their own. And Jesus, in his ministry, uh, confronts people that are both poor in spirit and very rich in spirit. And there are two very different things when that happens. So I'm going to give you two examples. One who's rich in spirit, and you see what happens to him, and a woman who's very poor in spirit. The first is a man that we just know as the rich young ruler. Has anybody ever heard of the rich young ruler before? Some of you might have. Yeah, so this rich young ruler, who in the eyes of the world, and in our eyes today, we'd say, this is the person who has it all together. This is the person who's blessed. This is the person who has everything going for him. He comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? I've kept all the commandments, he even says, which is amazing, right? None of us have kept all the commandments. But he says, I've kept all the commandments. What must I do? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give to the poor. And the man goes away sad because he's not willing to do it. Now, why did Jesus say that to the man? Because Jesus knows the man is relying on himself. He's relying on his own wealth. He's relying on his own possessions. And Jesus is saying, get rid of that. And the man doesn't do it. He's full of himself. He's rich in spirit. And so he goes away sad. But there's another completely different encounter that Jesus has with a Canaanite woman. We actually talked about it in, our, in RYF a couple years ago. And this Canaanite woman, who's not of the people of Israel, not of the people of God, comes and has a daughter who's sick. And he, she comes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal the daughter. And Jesus says this thing that we, like, we, we look at it and we say, why is Jesus saying this? This, doesn't, this isn't the Jesus that I know. But he says to her, why should I take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs? Which is a shocking statement for him to make. But she comes back at him and she says, Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps on their master's table, right? What Jesus is pulling out by his interaction with her is just how much she knows that she needs him. Just how much she knows she doesn't deserve what she's asking for. And she knows it and states it. She's poor in spirit. But she doesn't go away sad. You know what happens? Jesus says to her, woman, you have great faith. And he heals her daughter. So two differences, the rich young ruler who's rich in spirit and goes away saddened, and the Canaanite woman who's poor in spirit, but has great faith and receives healing. Well, what about us? What kind of life do we think deserves blessing? What kind of life do we think deserves to be considered good? But even if that language deserves, right, even that language deserves helps key us in that we're thinking about it the wrong way, that this deserves this, right, and we can do it, we can earn it. We think this all the time. If I'm cool enough, if I'm talented enough athletically or talented enough musically, if I know enough when it comes to school, if I'm funny enough, if I'm all of these things, then things are going to be okay. 
that I'm going to have a blessed life and things will be good. Where are you and I trying to build that good reputation with others based on the things that we do? Sometimes we try to do that with God. We try to say, if I do enough, I'll be blessed. I can do it. I can handle it. I just want to be rich in spirit. But the reality is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, that's a terrible introduction if you're going to introduce yourself. That's something nobody's ever going to say. Hi, I want to be poor in spirit. That's just not something that makes sense to us in today's day and age. But Jesus said, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I want to ask you all tonight, where do you need God's help? What do you need God's help with? That's one of the first steps to understanding our poverty of spirit. To say, where do I need God's help? What can't I do? What can I do? And then also the follow-up to that is asking a really scary question. The scary question is, why should God help me? Have I done enough for God to help me? Have I prayed enough? Have I read enough of my Bible for God to help me? Right? That's not the things Jesus is saying. He's saying, actually, you don't deserve the help of God, and yet he gives it anyway. How would it change our lives if we were to live as those poor in spirit? There's actually some beautiful things that I think would come out of it. First, think about the arguments you have with your siblings and with your friends. Think about the conversations, right, where you're trying to win. You're trying to kind of one-up them. You're, you're trying to kind of overpower in conversation. You're trying to one-up somebody's story because you think it'll make you feel better and look better. If we recognize we're poor in spirit, we don't need to do that. We don't need to win every argument. We don't need to have the best joke, the funniest story. We don't need any of those things because we know our worth is not in what those people think of us, not even what we think of us, but rather what God thinks of us instead. It also means that you can do work, that the work you have to do with actually, believe it or not, less pressure. Because you look at school, or you look at sports, or you look at music, or you look at all these things, not as a place to prove how good you are, but rather as something God has given you to enjoy, right? The fact that we get to receive a good education, that we get to play sports, that we get to enjoy our time, right? We can see these not as something to heap tons and tons of pressure on ourselves, but rather as gifts from our Heavenly Father. Gifts. Think about things that you don't deserve, but God gives you anyway. That's what it means to be poor in spirit. And also, my desire, and I know the desire of our leaders, is that this community, RYF, this youth group, can be a place where together, it's just a gathering of people that are poor in spirit. I don't have it all put together. The other leaders don't have it all put together. We don't deserve God to love us any more than you do, which is to say not at all. And yet God loves us and cares about us, right? Uh, We don't want this to be a place where you feel pressure to be somebody you're not. Because you feel that pressure everywhere you go. You feel that pressure at school. You feel that pressure online. You feel that pressure in all your extracurriculars with your friends. You feel this pressure to be somebody you're not because you just want to fit in. You just want to be seen as good, as blessed. But actually, blessed are the poor in spirit. I hope our small groups are a place where we can ask real questions together. Sometimes we're afraid to be the first person to ask a question, to really be vulnerable because we're like, what's everybody else going to think of me? But if we're a gathering of the poor in spirit, we can all do that together, understanding that God gives us mercy. It's also letting people walk alongside you with the really difficult things that happen in this life. And that's what we want to do. We want to be a place where we can be poor in spirit together. And those who are poor in spirit, they don't just stop there. That's not just where it ends. Yeah, happy are the poor in spirit, blessed are the poor in spirit. It says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This thing we can't and couldn't build on our own that we couldn't earn is handed to us for free. Handed to us, right? 
But this kingdom of heaven, the way it comes to us is that Jesus, God's only son, comes from heaven and brings the kingdom with him. He comes down to earth. The one who said these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, comes down to us. And though we are in debt, an infinite debt to God because of our sin, because of our disobedience, because of the times when we don't obey, right? We're in debt. We're in, we're in poverty. We have nothing we can do, nothing we can earn. But Jesus takes that upon himself and dies and goes to the cross, right? He takes on our poverty himself. This is what 2 Corinthians 8 says about it. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty may become rich. Let me read that again. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you may become rich. It's the great reversal. This reversal is at the heart of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he's reversing our expectations. He's saying it's not what people are saying it is. It's not what you think it is. It's actually this is what the kingdom is like, this kingdom in reverse. Jesus got what we deserved, which was death and punishment. And now we get what he deserves and what he earned, which is life, fellowship, worth, and blessedness, which is why Jesus can say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But I want to leave us with, with a warning and then a story, because it's really, really difficult to be poor in spirit, especially when we have a lot going for us, especially when we have a lot of material possessions, especially when we're in a good school. Uh, in the book of Revelation, it starts off with seven letters to seven different churches in the world at that time. And one of them is to a church named Laodicea. Now, if you look around at those seven churches, if you knew them back then, you would look at that one and say, they have it all together. They have it put together. They have a lot of money. They have a lot of wealth. They have a lot of influence. They have a lot of power. They're the ones who are blessed. But actually, this is what Revelation says. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The things that we have and the things that we do don't and can't justify us before God. But God comes and saves us because he loves us. And, and the way we, we tap into that is by understanding our poverty of spirit, that we are poor in spirit. As the song we just sang says, uh, let not conscience make you linger, right? Or fitness fondly dream, basically saying, I need to be good enough for God to love me. It says all the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. That's it. That's all he requires, right? Which is to say nothing. And the story I, I want to leave you with is a story that some of you who have been around church for a while might have heard before. If you've heard it, you've probably heard it a lot, and that's okay. It's a good story, so I'm going to tell it again. If you haven't heard it, then you're hearing it for the first time, which is great. It's a man named G.K. Chesterton, who was a big, influential Christian writer. And around the turn of the 19th to the 20th century, a big paper in London where he lived basically sent out a question to all the influential writers and thinkers of the day, saying, what's wrong with the world? Okay? And they like, had people write about it, and the most you know, influential people on earth writing pages and pages and pages and describing all the things that are wrong with the world, all that sort of thing. And the story goes that G.K. Chesterton responded, and his, the body of his letter only had two words in it. And it was this, I am. Right? What's wrong with the world? Yes, there are things out there that are bad. There are things out there that are evil, right? But his, his response, what's wrong with the world? I am. You see, that's an example of being poor in spirit. By understanding and knowing his need, right? 
And by understanding, only by understanding and knowing our need, only by being poor in spirit, can we understand what a beautiful gift the kingdom of heaven is. What gift that we don't deserve, but yet has been given to us, handed to us in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray. Father, would you help us more and more to understand this upside-down kingdom, that those who have nothing to give are given everything by your grace and by the mercy of your Son. Lord, would you help us to live out what it means to be poor in spirit? Would you help us to reflect on that, to see that the things that we do and the things that we look to to kind of to, to satisfy ourselves and, and to make us look good and feel good can't give us blessedness, can't save us, Lord. Thank you that you have come and loved us when we didn't love you. Lord, would you help us in small groups now and as we sing and as we worship to, to, to seek out poverty of spirit, to seek out what that means, and to seek out in that the person of your son, Jesus, who loved us enough to die for us and also rose from the dead to show power and love and mercy to all who call upon him. It's in his name we pray. Amen.